Welcome to Extraordinary Retirement with Nate Yeomans and Greg Indovina from Design Wealth. In this podcast, we challenge people to rethink the traditional retirement paradigm and explore what a truly extraordinary retirement could be. Join us for this journey where we explore the roadmap to retirement freedom as Nate and Greg draw from years of financial planning experience and knowledgeable guests to help people live the retirement of their dreams with zero regrets. Hello and welcome to the Extraordinary Retirement Podcast with your hosts, Greg and Davina and Nate Yeomans. I'm Wendy McConnell. Hi guys, how are you? Hello, Wendy. It's been a while. Doing fantastic. Good to see you. Good to hear your wonderful voices again. <laughs> I've missed you terribly. It's good to be back. Good. So today we're going to be talking about life stage investing. What on earth does that mean? Boy, wow. It's a Go great ahead, question, Nate. huh? I hope one of you guys know. <laughs> I think we do. So okay. let's let's just dive right in. As we go through different financial stages of life, and I think we've talked about this in previous episodes, we have to remember that our investment strategy needs to adapt according to the stage of life that we're in. And so just as a quick reminder for the audience is, you know, in our your younger years, when we're maybe in our 20s, 30s, 40s, and we're just working hard, we're putting money away, we're in what we call the accumulation phase of life. We're just trying to get our money to do one thing, and that is to grow. And so that that requires a different type of investment strategy. But as we get into um, years to where we're getting closer and closer to retirement, maybe we're five to 10 years from retirement, we enter into what we call the retirement risk zone, and things become a little bit more delicate. Because if you take a big fall and, and you, you take a big step backwards because of market performance and you're five years from retirement, you just lost one of the best tools that you had on your side when you were younger, and that is time to recover. And if we no longer have that time to recover, we have to figure out, okay, how do we still grow and, and get to the top of the, the mountain, if you will, but make sure that we don't take a big step back and, and fall too far? if the markets do decline at the wrong time. And then as we enter into the income phase of life to where you're now retired, you're asking your money to pay you for the first time of, in your life. It's now got a new job and that is to turn into paychecks for yourself. That is again, another investment stage of life that requires a different approach and a different strategy. And so we're going to break that down and, and talk about what investing for these different life stages, in particular, the retirement risk zone and the income phase of life, because that's where we really specialize. And Nate, what, what we typically see is that people don't adapt their strategy. The, the strategy that may very well have served them so well for decades, an accumulation strategy, uh, can be very ill-suited for, uh, like you just said, the retirement risk zone. If you take that big loss at age 35 versus 55, there's a big difference. At 55, you may not be retiring at 62 or 65 or you're retiring on a lot less income. Uh, that's important. The other thing just about investing, just to frame this conversation, is that that's the primary thing that most people talk about when uh, you know putting together a retirement plan. What are my returns? I'll, and sure, investing and the returns from your investments are surely a, a key driver to the success of any uh, in retirement plan, but it's not the only one, right? It's maybe not even the first one talking about sources of income and, and mitigating all the retirement risks that we've talked about on the other podcasts are great. You could get, you could have a portfolio that's doing terrific in terms of beating the S and P 500, et cetera, 
Uh, but one of these other retirement risks hits and you're not prepared for it, doesn't matter. So that's that's an important point to keep in mind is that investment returns are not the only thing that's important to a retirement plan. Yeah, that's a great point, Greg. So we've got to make sure that uh, as we transition into those different phases of life that we're assessing uh, all the different risks that uh, could impact you. Uh, you know, one of those risks that, uh, you know, a lot of times people don't focus on, which is why they don't ever shift from making, you know, a change in their retirement strategy or in their investment strategy as they enter into these different phases of life is one of those big risks that that is not talked about that much is is what we call the sequence of return risk. And so as you enter into retirement, it's not really about the average rate of return anymore. You know, and what Greg was uh, alluding to is, is that, you know, chasing average rates of return is not always the most important thing. Uh, but as we enter in retirement, it might be the sequence in which those returns come. And we oftentimes in our class will will teach on the concept and, and give two scenarios of, of individuals that live the exact same type of life. But to break it down in, in a quick manner is, is that one gets off to a good start and one gets off to a bad start in retirement. And when you're starting to take income out of your portfolio for the first time, it's the sequence of returns that matter more than the averages. And so understanding how to manage risk during that period of time uh, becomes really important. So, Greg, you spent almost a decade as a chief investment officer. You understand managing risk when it comes to portfolios very, very well. What is your thought process in developing portfolios and managing risk, especially in these two delicate phases of life? Where, where does it all start for you? It all starts with the investment strategy, right? There, there's there's two basic camps out there, both in academia and on Wall Street, that, that make very good cases for their approach to investment management. On one hand is what I call market-based investing, and you may know that as buy and hold. So you, you buy a portfolio of stocks, bonds, whatever it happens to be, and you trust that over time that those asset classes are going to be higher in the future. And that very well may be, whether it's stocks, bonds, commodities, et cetera. The other side of the coin and the other camp is the camp that says, no, 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 the, the market itself is too risky, especially when you're close to retirement or in retirement, and you need to have risk management in your portfolio, meaning that a portfolio that can adapt and change dynamically based upon what the market's doing, not what your financial advisor thinks or what you think, uh, that it, that's de-risking during certain uh, market environments, right? So that's the first thing to think through is uh, which one makes the most sense. And like most things in life, the answer always falls somewhere in the middle, right? It's it's never one way or the other. And in my mind, having an allocation to both of those types of approaches uh, in, a, in an overall portfolio makes sense. And what are some of the determining factors as to should it be more of market-based, you know, buy and hold, or, or more risk-managed? Some of those things, some of those inputs to consider would be what stage of life you're in, which is the you know the title of, of this. The closer you are to retirement, or if you're in retirement, risk management becomes more and more important. If you're in the accumulation phase, it's more important to just have broad exposure to the markets over long time periods. So that that's where I think the conversation starts. And uh, most people get that wrong. I would say, Nate, what would you guess percentage-wise of people that come into our office and say, here's my portfolio, take a look. What percent do you think have a balance between market-based buy and hold versus risk management? I know what my answer is, but 
What do you think? It's, it's virtually zero. Yeah, uh, I exactly. mean, we, we rarely ever see the uh, that transition from a a market based strategy of of just buying and holding, which again can work incredibly well at times, and we want to have that as a piece of the portfolio. But when it gets into uh, the retirement risk zone or the income phase of life, we really see a lack of uh, risk managed strategies. And again, to tie that back into the sequence of returns risk is that if you have no idea what the markets are going to do the day after you retire, what is your risk management strategy to make sure that you get off to a good start, right? We, we can't take a big step backwards, especially early on in retirement, if we want to stay retired. And so we have to have some risk management components built into a good investment plan to make sure that we have the ability to mitigate that environment. Because at the end of the day, you only have so much control on what the markets are going to decide that they want to do, right? Yeah. And so um, I, I think that understanding that uh, becomes an important piece. But we also have to get into the individual's preferences as well, Greg. Yeah, is exactly. That, is that there's not one shoe that fits everyone. Uh, some of this comes down into your preferences. And, and what's your thoughts on understanding clients' preferences when it comes to managing risk? Yeah, the both of those different investment approaches or strategies can be successful in a financial plan. The question is, which one or, or what is the right combination of those two that an individual would be able to stick with the plan over the long run and actually get the returns that are expected from those portfolios? So it's, as an example, somebody that is is very risk averse, if you put them in a market-based portfolio, when it's down 35%, they're going to lose their minds and they're going to abandon ship. Likewise, if you have somebody that has a preference more towards uh, relative returns, in other words, keeping up with the stock market, the S&P 500, et cetera, and you put them in a risk managed portfolio primarily, you know, their plan may require 6% rate of return. They get 8% and they're furious because the market made 12 and they feel like they just lost 4%. And so they abandon ship and they jump back into all market base at the exact wrong time. So understanding that as, as advisors is important so that we have the proper mix for our clients. And I'll just add one other point. Most people's portfolios that we look at, they'll say, well, I have risk management in my portfolio. And Nate, what, what do you think they say when, when we say, well, what's your risk management in your portfolio? Well, I have bonds and cash. I have bonds. <laughs> I have cash that are losing losing to the rate of inflation each and every year guaranteed. And I have bonds that were in a 40-year bubble that recently popped. You know, we were down at almost 0% interest rates and now we're up on the 10-year treasury up significantly from that point. And so now you have an overvalued stock market that you're protecting with an even more overvalued bond market. That's that's not protection. Yeah, it can certainly be challenging. And so, you know, at the end of the day, coming full circle on that is is that what is the the best solution for you? Is it risk managed? Is it market based? Is it a combination of both? We oftentimes believe that yes, it's a combination of both. But here's what's important is having a conversation to understand what your individual preferences are is critical because at the end of the day, it's what you believe in. And what you can tolerate that is the best solution, because like Greg said, you can't jump off the ship at the wrong time because we're all emotional and we uh, tend to, to make emotional decisions, especially financially. 
And so understanding your preferences uh, becomes incredibly important. So I always ask the question is, is, is this a relate uh, a conversation that you're having frequently with your advisor to make sure that you understand what preferences do you have? I know that everybody fills out a risk tolerance questionnaire, right? We go through the basic questions. You ask the yeah. questions, it puts you in a, a category. Are you moderate, conservative, aggressive, et cetera? But what about the more detailed conversations about really understanding your preferences when it comes to taking risk and managing that risk really becomes a key thing in designing your portfolio moving forward. So um, what's the other area that people feel like they manage risk? How, how do they, they do that? Uh, do they own just one investment, multiple investments? What's kind of the yeah. industry approach to managing risk, Greg, maybe yeah. we can start breaking yeah, that so down. So Wendy, Wendy, you've, you know, everyone has talks about I'm diverse. My portfolio is diversified, right? How I many hope. times? Yeah. Yeah. You have to have a diversified portfolio. Well, for most people, diversification means I own, uh, I own large cap stocks. I own small cap stocks. I own value stocks, growth stocks, technology stocks, healthcare stocks, discretionary stocks, international stocks, emerging market stocks. Guess what? what? Guess what? You're diversified, right? They're all that's stocks. like saying that's like saying I have a house full of dogs that are all different breeds, and if one gets a dog illness, the rest of them aren't going to get it, right? That's that's not the way it works. You're diversified, yes, but you own stocks. That's it, right? Now, is that better than just owning a single stock necessarily? Sure. Yeah, you've diversified against that single stock risk, but you still have stocks generally. True diversification, in, in my view, and they, we talk about this a lot uh, with, with clients and in class, has three components to get truly diversified. The one is what we just talked about. Do you have both market-based buy and hold types of investments? And do you have portfolios that are risk managed, meaning that they can adapt and make protective changes automatically? That's the first piece. Most people don't have that. The second piece is, do you own all of the asset classes besides stocks and bonds, right? And what are the other asset classes? Well, what about commodities? What about precious metals like gold and silver? Or real estate. What, what about real estate? Real estate investment trusts within you know a, a paper portfolio and, and another real real estate can be there too. Um, what about currencies? What do you mean? You can buy a currency? I yeah, you you can you can make money when the value of one currency goes up or down versus another currency. So the the dollar versus the euro, the Japanese yen versus the Canadian dollar, those things move up and down. So those are all the different asset classes that in a truly diversified portfolio should be represented. The final thing that is super important is the risk management that's built into the portfolio, what is it? And most people only have cash and bonds. And we just talked about the problem of you know the bond market being in a 40-year bull market that has probably ended. There's lots of different ways. You can make protective, you could have protective pieces of a portfolio that are designed to go the opposite direction of the stock market. Right? Think of that in 2008 or 2020, right? That, that can be helpful. You can own insurance on a portfolio. There's things called stock options. Pay a little premium every month, and that premium, uh, if the stock market keeps going up, you lose that premium, just like your house pay, house premium. But if the portfolio burns down, then you have protection, and the value of those insurance policies, i.e. options, become very, very valuable. Uh, when stock markets are crashing, volatility 
as measured by the volatility index, can spike to unbelievable levels. Well, there's actual ways to own the volatility index and offset your losses by owning the volatility that's causing the losses, right? Uh, so there's lots of different ways. And what I would say is in a portfolio, when it comes to protection, besides just bond, having all of those other types of pieces in there that, that can help offset the risk. So that's truly truly diversified portfolio, Nate. Excellent. So if we were to... to essentially build uh, an investment strategy how do we uh, how do we go about doing that if if we're in maybe the retirement risk zone entering into the income phase of life like so many of our clients are uh, getting ready to how do you build that uh, investment strategy well you start with the components that i just went through of true diversification so you want to have both risk managed and market-based investments in stocks. So that's two separate categories. So one part of your portfolio is is equities or stocks, and it's just riding the market up and down. And there's plenty of pros and some cons to that. But you also need to have a portion that is risk managed. Now, the relationship between those two depends on how much overall risk you want to take, your preferences, et cetera. The, the second piece is to have access to all of those different asset classes, right? And then the third piece is to have multiple forms of, of protection or protection against catastrophic loss. So what you come up with is you have five different categories that are in a portfolio. So you have something that is following the stock market up and down. You have something that is in stocks when markets are good and goes to protection when things are not so good. So those are your two stock positions. Same thing with bonds. Owning bonds over long time periods can be okay, and that's a portion of the portfolio. But the other portion is is protected against interest rates going up. So a portfolio that has risk-managed bonds over the last two years has been in cash because bonds have been going down in value as interest rates have been going up. And then the final and fifth category that makes a complete portfolio is to have an all-asset portion of your portfolio that is risk managed, something that's in precious metals and currencies and commodities and all those things that we talked about, but can make money up and down in both directions. So when you have all five of those categories, you then say, all right, how do I then combine those five pieces of the portfolio to create various portfolios for various stages of life, right? So what is the right combination of those five categories for an accumulation strategy. What's the best combination for someone that is in the retirement risk zone or taking income or money that's not going to be needed until much later in life? And, and, and that's what we've done with our life stage portfolios that we've we've designed at Design Wealth. We've taken those five categories and optimized them for various risk return profiles uh, in various stages of life. Yeah. So really, you know, it's about focusing on risk first. And, and understanding, okay, what's the risk that we're potentially exposing somebody to and, and understanding their, their preferences and what they can tolerate. And then also looking at next, what is the reward that we're getting? And, and so it's very much a, a risk first focus uh, and then making sure that our rewards are there. And a lot of times with good diversification, the idea is, is that you can minimize and lower risk while achieving the same end result. And if we can optimize a portfolio that reduces risk at that delicate phase of your life, but end up at a similar result, what that's going to do is it's going to smooth out the ride. 
And again, yeah. this is a very different conversation than somebody that's maybe 30 years old in the accumulation strategy. And we're going to use the highs to our advantage and the lows to our advantage and, and ride all of those things up and down. But as you get closer and closer to retirement and you don't have as much time to recover from big losses, it, it's about smoothing out that ride and making sure that we, we make it to the top of the mountain uh, and, and still grow our money. But again, into the income phase of life, we can't take big losses, especially early on in the plan, because if you're taking money out of your portfolio at the same time you're taking big losses, mm -hmm. anybody see how that could cause a pretty bad problem? Yeah. And so making sure that we can optimize those utilizing true diversification, like Greg mentioned, uh, is really going to smooth out the ride and, and help you weather uh, the storms. Because you know what? It's very likely that most people are going to live through multiple bear markets and recessions and other types of uh, economic cycles in their lifetime. And so we don't know what's going to happen. We just need to make sure they're prepared for it. Yeah. And Nate, the, the, the practical application. So the question is then, why do we build portfolios like we build them, right? Uh, the practical application is that one of, as I said in the opening, one of the primary drivers of retirement success is your portfolio performance. But the portfolio performance is not just what rate of return you are getting. Uh, as you said earlier, Nate, it's the sequence that you get. If you get the bad returns early on and you are taking distributions, you can spiral out of control. But the other thing was when you put that when you put these numbers into a financial planning software tool, and we use a couple of them, the program wants to know two things. It's not just what is the projected rate of return. If it only asked for that and it was 7%, it would just give you 7% each and every year which we know never happens, never happens, right? Even if that's the average of a 60-40 portfolio, it just never happens. So the other piece of information that the software is looking for is what is the distribution of potential returns around that average, right? Are the ranges from zero to 14 with seven being the average? Or is it 7% on average and it could be minus 27 or plus 42? So the program is going to treat those two different portfolios very differently and by the way, the program is going to reward portfolios that don't have wide dispersions of returns around that average. So the reason we build life stage portfolios the way we do is not to get excess return necessarily. Mm -hmm. It's to get the rates of return that a lot of other portfolios might be able to get, but get it with a tighter distribution of returns around that average, which rewards financial plans, probability of success, and eliminates a lot of the issues that we talked about earlier, like sequence of returns, et cetera. Yep, we agree. So that's a lot. That's a mouthful. That's a lot. Well, you know what's important is that um, yes, there's a lot there to unpack, and, and this is a time in your life where you got to get this piece right. You really do. And, and so it's not uncommon that uh, it, whether it's in class or we have conversations with uh, a client that says, you know, I'd kind of like to know where I stand today. I, I don't, I, all what you said makes sense. I understand most of that. Uh, I'd like to dive into it a little bit deeper, but before I do that, I, I kind of want to get at a good idea of where I'm at. And, and so that's why we created what we call our portfolio scorecard. And, and really that is, you know, the idea of if you want to know where you stand and do you have these components of true diversification that we're talking about, then we'll take a look at it for you. 
and just help you understand, okay, what do you have that's in the area that's considered market-based? What do you have that's risk managed? And a lot of times when we educate around these concepts in relation to the portfolio that you have, that you're familiar with, that message sinks in a lot more because you can see what you have and why and what you don't have and the problem that that could potentially create. And when you see it in that fashion, I think that what Greg was talking about starts to sink in. And uh, we, we definitely try to, to explain it in a very simple manner so you understand, are you truly diversified going into this delicate phase of life? So, Wendy, I'm going to give you a, a nice analogy. Do you like documentaries? Not at all, but please. Not at all. Please. Okay. <laughs> have, 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 you heard of the, have you heard of the documentary called Free Solo with Alex Honnold, the guy that climbs these unbelievable huge mountains uh, that doesn't use any ropes? Oh, right. so, no, but please, yeah. Oh, yeah. Look him up. Alex Honnold, Free Solo, one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. So when you're talking about risk managed versus market-based, that's a great analogy. Uh, and it gets away from big words, Wendy, okay? Yeah, I can't handle them, Greg. <laughs> so think of it this way. Uh, market-based investing is like Alex Honnold going up the face of a rock, you know, thousands of feet without any protection. Okay. So if he is a thousand feet up, 2000 feet up and he slips and he falls, he's taking the full fall, right? There's nothing there to catch him. Now, is he going to get to the top of the mountain faster? Assuming he doesn't fall. Yeah. Most likely. Mm -hmm. But then there's those boring risk managed mountain climbers that actually use ropes, right? They, <laughs> they tap in the little hooks and they you know, anchor in, they anchor in and they go section by section. They just prod along. Now, do they ever fall? Absolutely, they fall. But do they fall a thousand feet to their death? No, they fall about 20 feet and they snap their head back. They they get resettled and they're back on their trip. And while they're doing that, Alex Honnold is blowing past them, right? With no protection. So that's the way I look at it. There, there are there are people and environments and phases of life that require that risk management. And there are also some times when maybe you don't need that risk management. You can climb fast. But um that's that's probably the best explanation between the two camps that we talked about earlier in that great debate. I think the most important thing is if anybody has questions and wants you to dive a little bit deeper, you're more than willing to explain it in full, correct? Absolutely. We'll tell people that they're climbing without ropes at age 58. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. and you'll um, throw them some rope, right? <laughs> you know, what's, in, what's interesting, Wendy, is a lot of times people don't even know how much the risk that, that, that they're actually taking. Yeah. Nay, we've done some uh, portfolio analysis for people and versus their risk tolerance and their preference for risk. It's a huge disconnect and they don't even know it. Yeah. It, it's not a problem until it's a problem. And again, you know, we want to reiterate the fact that we get one shot at, uh, at getting this piece right. And so we definitely don't want to be taking a big step backwards at, at these phases of life. And so, you know, the whole idea around whether it's financial planning, investment planning, uh, and, and putting together and making sure a client really understands what they're invested in, they understand their preferences and and how risk is being managed. And you know what, when things don't go exactly right, markets don't behave the way that they want to uh, want to them knowing and understanding that they have a plan in place that accounts for 
the fact that when things are good, we want to take advantage of that and we want to help them grow. But when things are getting a little ugly out there and the markets are more volatile, that we have a plan in place that is going to be there to help protect them. And guess what? They get to think about money less and then they get to think about more about living their best retirement. And that's what it's all about is saying, how do we have a plan that's truly diversified that was specifically designed for them to make sure that they don't have to worry about the money as much and they can go out and focus on living their best retirement. And that's what we're all about. Yeah. And it's not, you know, the market risk is, is not just about the plan working necessarily. It, it's it's about the immerse, emotional turmoil mm. that you have to go through many times, um, and some people say I I can, I, you know I, I can I can stomach it. If you don't have to, why why would you? Uh, and other people say, well, I don't really need this money, so if I lose a little bit, that's okay. But what's it like? What's it feel like to lose four hundred fifty thousand dollars in six months? You know, it, it it can't be good even if your plan's still on track. So it's important to understand what that portfolio scorecard that Nate's talking about is, and it really identifies where you are and where potentially some holes are. And we'd be happy to uh, run that for anybody that needs yeah, to take a look. You can just give us a call at the office seven two zero eight three three seven six seven six and uh, get us appointment scheduled with us. We'd be happy to sit down and take a look and uh, give you a quick portfolio scorecard. How about a website, guys? Oh, yeah, we have a website. Yes, we do. Designwealthadvisors.com is where you can find us. And uh, we keep our information updated, including our class schedule. So which we're going to be coming out with uh, our new class schedule here real soon. So always keep an eye on that because we always add new classes. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much. It was such a, an enlightening episode. I've learned so much. Well, that's what we're here for. We're excited <laughs> to hear that, Wendy. Exactly. Thanks, Wendy. Okay. And we'll thank, talk soon. Thank you for listening today. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with your friends. Until next time, I'm Wendy McConnell. Thank you for listening to the Extraordinary Retirement Podcast. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at www.designwealthadvisors.com or give us a call at 720-833-7676. Content here is for illustrative purposes and general information only. It is not legal, tax, or individualized financial advice, nor is it a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold any specific security or engage in any specific trading strategy. Results will vary. Past performance is no indication of future results or success. Market conditions change continuously. This commentary reflects the personal opinions, viewpoints, and analysis of Design Wealth Advisors. It does not necessarily represent those of RFG Advisory, their clients, or their employees. This commentary should not be regarded as a description of advisory services provided by Design Wealth Advisors or RFG Advisory, or performance returns of any client. The views reflected in the commentary are subject to change at any time without notice. Advisory services offered by investment advisory representatives of RFG Advisory, a registered investment advisor. Design Wealth Advisors and RFG Advisory are unaffiliated entities. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where RFG Advisory and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. 
No advisory services may be rendered by RFG Advisory unless a client agreement is in place.